Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. I consider it an honor and a privilege to speak with you every week on the opportunities and challenges of middle age and how you and I can overcome those challenges to ensure that the years after age 40 are indeed our prime time of life. To begin, let's talk a bit about an additional potential consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our local newspaper the other day contained an article reporting frequent weight gain accompanying the lockdowns and social distancing. Perhaps not surprising, since most of us have little to do except stay at home and consume food, including those oh-so-handy snacks. Also, studies have shown that a lot of us tend to eat more when we're emotionally isolated and stressed out. So how uh, have you been on the scale lately, and what does it show? Do your clothes fit a bit more snugly than before, if you can even get into them all? <laughs> Perhaps your physician has suggested you need to lose weight and exercise more. Whatever the reason, are you less than pleased with your weight, conditioning, energy, perhaps your general state of health? And perhaps you acknowledge that you need to change, but you're immediately confronted with thoughts like these. Diet and exercises for other people, not for me. Or I feel pretty good the way I am. Why change now? And it's too much work. I don't have the time or energy at this point, or what difference will it make? Diets don't work, and I've never been able to stick with exercise. And here's another issue. Unfortunately, many doctors tell you to lose weight, but they don't give you any recommendations on diet and exercise regimen to follow. Years ago, I asked a doctor how to follow his recommendation that I lose weight, and his response was, eat less. <laughs> And all of us have seen the TV as Jenny Craig Nutrisystem Weight Watchers to lose 30 pounds or more within X number of days. But these ads uh, fail to tell you how many successful dieters were able to keep the weight off, the good old yo-yo effect, and how many weren't. Well, guess what? My guest today, fitness and nutrition expert Kristen Carter, MS, is here to tell us why vowing to take more walks, signing up for exercise classes, buying home exercise equipment, or jumping cold turkey into a strict weight loss diet can end up fizzling out, making us feel like a failure for the umpteenth time, and even more self-conscious than ever in public. And more importantly, she's here to introduce you to a better way a change in outlook and mindset that actually work and over time will have a major positive impact both on your health and your quality of life without major disruption and, or agony. <laughs> and before I introduce her, here is Kristen Carter's biography. 
He's creator of the Design for Fitness Method and has been counseling and coaching folks on fitness and nutrition for over 25 years. And her passion is helping folks like you and me become healthier, more energetic, and better able to move. And she has a master's degree in exercise physiology and is a certified uh, professional trainer, performs health coaching, and is a public speaker and workshop leader. And she's author of the brand new book we'll talk about today, Lose Weight, Exercise More. I don't think so. What to do when your doctor tells you to make changes for your health. And hello, Kristen Carter. It's an honor to have you here with us today. Hello, Roy. Great to be here. Well, let's begin with the bad news. What is it about our <laughs> brain that stops us from exercising more and adopting a healthy diet, even when we know we should and are committed to lose weight? Why so often does our brain refuse to uh, let us abandon our bad habits? <laughs> well, uh, we love our habits. You know, when you think about it, it's taken us decades, at least at this point in middle age, to develop the habits that we have, and we're pretty fond of them. And a lot of times we don't even know where they came from. Some of them are, are unconscious. Um, we like to go on autopilot. And on top of that, we do like comfort. <laughs> um, we like our comfort zone. That's why we have those habits. And we, we humans are not hugely fond of change. So... Our whole brains are going, you know, really? Do you really want to do this? Um, when, we're, <laughs> when we're faced with making changes, even for something as important as our health. Yeah, well, I've heard it said, conventional wisdom, I guess, that it takes 21 days to change a habit. Am really that easy? <laughs> if, uh, if I practice exercising for just three weeks, well, I love to exercise beginning on day 22. <laughs> Uh, absolutely not. So when you think about it, um, 21 days, okay, three weeks, that might work for a very simple habit, like, you say, brushing your teeth. But it's not going to work for a complex habit, like adopting a whole new schedule and relationship with how you eat and how you exercise. Yeah. Now, and studies have shown that it can take up to, or longer, uh, up to 254 days to change oh, a habit. Oh, that's quite a difference. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that should make us think long-term rather than, well, I'll just try this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if I stick with it long enough, it'll become part of me. No. <laughs> well, I take it you're not a big fan of diet and fitness quick start programs. In your opinion, why is it that bad diets or forced exercise rarely, if ever, works? Um, well, sometimes, like I said before, it's too much change at once. Yeah. We also have not integrated it with what we like to do and who we are and what our schedule is and what we're most likely to want to keep going with. Yeah, if exercise so, is more of a, uh, a task we have to do rather than something we enjoy doing, it's very tough to <laughs> doing it. <laughs> right. It's, a lot of people feel like, the exercise is just something you kind of cross off your list. Well, okay, I did that, you know, because I know I should. Instead of you can now you can start slowly um, so that it doesn't hurt as much, 
you can adjust things as you go along if you're going slowly. So instead of going to a boot camp where somebody's just yelling at you, <laughs> um, it becomes more a part of you. Yeah, well, on, you know, on your website, your stated plan, Fitness That Fits You, is based on three thoroughly tested principles, you tell us. What are these three principles? Uh, one is that it needs to be convenient. So a lot of times people will join a gym and they, you know, they realize, uh-oh, you know, I don't want to keep paying for the gym or it's too far or it takes too long. Um and it does think, need I'm to fit. I'm in a gym. I don't have to go every day, but I'm in a gym. So I'm gonna lose that's right. <laughs> and half the time, you know, people join a gym thinking that that's what you're supposed to do to get yeah. fit. Whereas, what are you going to do when you get there? Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> um, the other one is it does need to fit you, um, and. Which means it needs to fit your schedule, it needs to fit your attitudes, it needs to fit your body, your health status, your lifestyle, yeah. all those things. Um, and it also needs to be, what's the last one? Um, feel good, I think. It needs to feel good. Yeah. So if, you know, people somehow feel like they have to get beaten up if they can exercise. So, yeah, or even if they're dieting, they need to suffer. So, um, it, you know, the main reason, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, the main reason that people, studies have shown, the main reason that people stick with exercise is because it feels good. Yeah. Well, let's say you want to commit yourself to losing weight. How strenuous and strict should your objective be? Say 15 pounds in the next 30 days or 30 pounds in the next 90 days. Uh, it's less demanding. Does it work to lose a little weight at a time? And while dropping just a few pounds, let's say two or three in a week or two weeks or whatever, produce a significant improvement in your overall health, energy, and emotions? Um, that's absolutely right. So you need to adjust your expectations of what's going to happen on a diet. You might want to sit down with yourself and ask yourself, what are you expecting to happen? Um, and the, the byline is either a pound, pound and a half, maybe two pounds a week at most. Um, so, and the other thing you want to think about is you are just like we're all quarantined now. You're not going anywhere. And so... <laughs> you're going to be with yourself for the rest of your life. So why not take your time with it? You know, change things slowly, yeah. find things that you can live with, and then move on to the next thing. So that by the end of a year, you know, instead of thinking 12 weeks or next week, think in terms of next year. How do you want to be? So um, and with the COVID... Can you give us um, a couple ahead. of questions we should ask ourselves to help understand more about what we need and why we need it? Now, once we understand the what and why, will that change our lives for the better? I think you um, Exactly. So um, in, the, in the literature, they call that your intrinsic motivation. Oh, right. And they discover that that sort of thing is much stronger than anything you will get from the outside, like going out with a friend or wearing a Fitbit or signing up for a challenge, um, when the days are hard 
and you're sitting there going, you know, do I really want to do this? You need to go, okay, what's my big reason for doing this? Do I want to get healthier? Do I not want to be that person who gets disabled slowly over time as I get older? Do I want to fight this thing? Do I want to drop some pounds that will make me healthier and keep me maybe from getting diabetes in the future? What what person do I want to be? Yeah. You know, and and Not why? Speaking, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, what makes developing an exercise and healthy nutrition diet so elusive, even with the best intentions? Why do the right preparation and mindset make all the difference? And how the how do we get started in developing this healthy mindset so that we don't uh, just plunge in and get nothing done? <laughs> Right. Well, I think, number one, you've got to be aware that you are going to have barriers. You are not going to want to get off the couch. You're not going to want to change. So you, and, and if you can become aware of, of those things which are normal, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you have some sort of, uh, you know, moral failure because you can't find your motivation. It just means you're normal. So yeah, you um, somehow you where why you're objecting and how your brain is used to doing non-active, right. uh, act, very little activity, it, it becomes easier right. to overcome. Mm-hmm. Well, let's um, talk and about the other it. thing you can do. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, you you finish. <laughs> well, the other thing you can do is. Um, with the start slowing, start slow. So even with a diet, you can figure out what needs to change here. I need to change maybe how I go grocery shopping. I need to change how I think about dessert. (laughs) And, And prepare yourself for those things and go, you know, are those, is having dessert more important to me than my big why, my, my, reason for wanting to do this at all. Yeah, and you start skipping dessert uh, two days a week and then three and four and you work up, I would think it would be a a way to go about something like that. See if you Mm -hmm. really miss dessert that much on the days you skip it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, and that's a tough one because we all love sugar. Let's face it, we do. (laughs) Let's talk about your new book, Lose Weight, Exercise More. I don't think so. In the book's introduction you state important this is not an advice book or another diet what indeed is the book's purpose and how is it intended to benefit readers okay so the purpose here is to show people about their habits and why they're so hard to change and to anticipate that um, there's also so many things that go into who we are and the decisions that we make including our attitudes, the choices we're used to making, our self-image, what we're interested in, how we even approach learning. Yeah. Um, and maybe you've had a bad experience with diet and exercise in the past, so you may already be thinking negatively about it. So those things are the kinds of things you need to consider when you want to move forward instead of just say, when you say, You've been to your doctor, and he says, well, just eat less. Yeah. That so rankles me. That was probably 30 years ago. <laughs> he was a little chubby 
Bobby himself, actually, the doctor. But <laughs> I know a lot of them are. <laughs> the best place for listeners to go to preview and purchase your book, Lose Weight, Exercise More? I don't think so. Okay. Um, it's available on Amazon um, and Barnes & Noble. You can get it an ebook if you want. So put it on your iPad or your Kindle or your Nook. Um, there's also, if you go to my website, um, there's a free first chapter available so that you can go in there and see what you think. (laughs) What's that website address just so people know how to find you? Okay. It's design for fitness, all one word, designforfitness.com. And uh, what are some of the helpful information contained on your website? I know you have uh, a free library with exercises and a informative blogs and a number of other Worthwhile. That's true. Content. Yes, those I've been blogging for seven years of about all kinds of different topics um, yeah. related to exercise and nutrition and and habit change and behavior. Um, so they're all up there. Um, how to stay safe doing push-ups, all that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, and there's some videos up there for they're pretty easy starter type workouts. Well, that's great. Lord knows the world is full of crash diets and so-called magical exercise equipment to make you lose weight and get in shape fast. But are these truly right for you, and will you keep it off for the long term? As Grant Leishman uh, uh, phrases in an editorial review, by focusing on our habits, Kristen Carter offers the only true way to long-term weight loss and fitness but there are no diet fads involved and no hardcore exercise programs to follow. Instead, in her book, Kristen treats you, her audience, as her equal and presents a roadmap that leads to a healthier lifestyle, but perhaps uh, perhaps with professional advice, you, the reader, make the final decision as to the diet and exercise regimen that works best for you, and you don't need to kill yourself while you're doing it. You better enjoy yourself. And whether or not your physician has ordered you to lose weight and uh, get fit or you have made the decision solely on your own, I highly recommend Kristen Carter's book, Lose Weight, Exercise More. I don't think so. If you want to become healthier and more energetic and to make exercise and nutrition a regular part of your life while you enjoy the heck out of healthy, fit living. And you may even want to go out to... uh, Denver and uh, go out to Red Rock, <laughs> like the picture in your website, showing all those, I think they're mostly ladies there in the stands of that uh, Red Rock amphitheater, all in, it looks like they're all in shape. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, there was one big gigantic exercise class that was going on there at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks to me and Kristen for joining us here today, and best of success with your new book. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Well, we Americans agree on very little these days, other than all of us are hoping and praying for an early end to the COVID-19 pandemic. But as economies are shut down and unemployment figures rival those of the Great Depression, red state conservatives and blue state progressives can agree on one critical point. None of us really trust Wall Street to take care of and grow our assets. The alarming fact is Wall Street, though, remains where we place our money. 
According to the Federal Reserve, Americans have $56.5 trillion backed away, uh, tucked away in Wall Street's stocks, bonds, pension funds, and more. Yet Main Street, not Wall Street, is what powers 60 to 80 percent of the U.S. economy. Doesn't the following make sense? In a well-functioning investment marketplace, 60 to 80 percent of your money should be supporting Main Street and 60 to 80 percent of the economy. But if you're like the vast majority of Americans, almost none of it is. Sounds like a great opportunity to shift some or all of your assets into local businesses and local investments sooner, not later. But the next logical question is, how do we do it? And here's the good news. My next guest, trusted economist and local economy advocate, Michael H. Schumann, is here to advise how to make the shift into local business, whatever your location. And before I introduce him, here are a few of Michael Schumann's many qualifications. He's an economist and attorney, but we won't hold that against him. An author, entrepreneur, and leading visionary on community economics. He's director of local economy programs for Neighborhood Associates Corporation, a nonprofit uh, housing corporation. And uh, he's an award-winning author of 10 books, including his latest that we'll talk about today, Put Your Money Where Your Life Is, How to Invest Locally Using Self-Directed IRAs and Solo 401Ks. And hello, Michael Schumann. It's great to have you here uh, so you can counterbalance what our local stockbrokers and investment advisors keep telling us. My pleasure to be with you today. Well, to begin with the basics, can you please define for for us what are self-directed IRA and a solo 401k, and how would we go about setting them up? Is it easy or hard? So they are well-established tax tools uh, that people have been using for decades, you know, two decades. Um, and generally speaking, a self-directed IRA allows you to go to a trust company, uh, hire a custodian. If you shop around, you could do so for as inexpensively as $350 a year. And then you direct that custodian to put your money in whatever investments uh, you want. So one of the problems with your existing choices with your stockbroker, whoever is running your pension fund, is that you really only have global companies you can invest in. And even things that are called socially responsible are just screened lists of local companies. And what what my point is is that if you want to invest in local business or, frankly, local property, if you want to help your church buy a property, if you want to even help your neighbors get out of credit card debt, you can do so with the self-directed IRA. And here's the thing. The self-directed IRA is, I think, far less effective than the solo 401K. So the solo 401K is designed for self-employed people, but if you have just $1 on your Schedule C, you can open up a solo 401k, which allows you really for, you know, 
a one-time payment is a, for as little as $300 to set up your own account in your own bank account, oh. and then you basically manage your investments. Okay, so that sounds a little simpler than the self-directed IRA. It's, it is simpler, uh, but you do have to know the rules, and that's <laughs> one of the reasons I wrote the book, is to make it pretty easy problem. for people. When anything the government does, there's a rub. You have to understand the rules. <laughs> well, how do these exactly. well-established investment tools, the self-directed IRAs and the solo 401Ks, help us keep our money close to home while meeting or beating Wall Street returns? Well, so the Wall St- let's first talk about what Wall Street returns are. Um, <laughs> honestly, if we were looking at, just 2020, we're minus 10%, give or take. Uh, But in a a typical year, I mean, I would say, you know, and I look at um, the the data that are given by Robert Schiller, who is the author of the Case Schiller Housing Index, and on his website, he keeps a steady tally of how the S&P is doing and what the inflation rates are, and he does it month by month. And you can go back frankly, to the early, not the early, the late 1800s, to when the S&P got started. And what you find is that, you know, even under idealized circumstances, you may clear 7% per year free of inflation. But more realistically, when you take into account fees and the likely cost of never getting in and out perfectly, it's going to be closer to 5%. Yeah, well, uh, in previewing your book and your website, I was surprised to learn that one of your invest locally strategies is to invest in yourself. In doing so, where is the best place to dedicate the money? Well, I so uh, my own personal experience is getting the heck out of credit cards. <laughs> and I begin the book by talking about uh, a terrible experience I had. And even though I'm pretty well educated, I made a very dumb mistake. I was divorced right when the financial crisis hit in 2008. And I thought that the smart thing to do when my wife's pension fund was was split among us and I was able to then take money out of the pension fund without penalty because it was a court-ordered distribution – I thought that I should be free of all of my debts. So yeah, I, that was a smart thing to do. That's one thing you recommend is the best investment in yourself is to pay down the debt. <laughs> yes, and so I did so. I paid taxes on what was projected to be my income as a result of that. Yeah. But in fact, it put me in such a higher tax bracket that a year later I realized this put me in more debt than I began with. Yeah, that's stupid alternate minimum tax garbage. <laughs> yes, exactly. I got hoisted by the alternative minimum tax. <laughs> and what I realized is is that I should have put the money into a solo 401k, given myself the $50,000 loan, um, and then paid myself back at a trivial interest rate over yeah. five years, which is what you're allowed to do. Yeah. And I would have had my money for retirement. I would have been out of debt. 
all of those interest payments wouldn't have gone to Visa. They would have gone to myself. Yeah. So live and learn. Well, let's talk about uh, local investing. What are three myths about local investing that uh, even skilled financial advisors get wrong? Well, uh, one myth is that local businesses are not very profitable. (laughs) Um, And in point of fact, local businesses are more profitable than Fortune 500 companies. Uh, We know this from data from the IRS, and we know this looking at Canadian companies, uh, that the most profitable businesses tend to have uh, 10 to 20 employees. Now, we have to differentiate startups from other companies. So if you're risk-averse, don't invest in startups. Invest in, like, a grocery store you love that maybe is setting up a second branch, or a restaurant you like that's setting up a second branch. Second myth is that small business, local business, are are a small part of the economy. Yeah, um, amazed by those stats you quote. And in point of fact, I mean, so as you talked about in the entry piece we wrote, um, sixty percent, at least sixty percent of the economy is in local small business. But actually, there's another definition of local that Dun & Bradstreet uses, which is that the headquarters is in the state where the business operates. And by that criterion, 80% of our economy, by jobs and by output, is in local small business. Um, The last thing that I, I would say, which is a myth, is that there's an assumption and your financial advisor may well tell you this, that local, you know, investing in local businesses through a self-directed IRA or a solo 401k is expensive or difficult. Uh, But in fact, it's not that expensive. It's certainly not difficult once you know the basic rules, but it is going to be a problem for your financial advisor because you're going to start doing it for yourself. That's a problem for them if you're paying them for doing nothing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, uh, I liked an investment strategy number two. Uh, You had a blog, Invest in People You Love, and this sounds like a great idea, lending money to our young adult sons and daughters. You can help them pay down student loans, credit card debt, or maybe help them buy their first home. Tell us about the deal you made with your daughter. I thought that sounded great. Well, so so it was that was a hypothetical deal, but my daughter oh. is about to go to college. My son is in college. I expect both of them to have significant student loan debt by the time yeah. they come out of college. Sure. And the basic deal is, I'm going to buy your student debt. I'm going to, which is, you know, if you're a perfect repayer of student debt now, your average repay, your average rate is about seven percent. Oh, but you know, for maybe 25% of students out there who aren't so perfect at repayment, you know, it could be 15 or 20%. Yeah. So getting those people out of debt um, and, you know, you get your 5% plus, you know, you work out the deal with your kids about what happens if they don't pay. You know, you, you excommunicate <laughs> them, you publish embarrassing <laughs> information, whatever you need. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, let's talk about some other potential forms of local investing. Can you suggest a few smart steps that can help our listeners find promising local investments even as the COVID-19 pandemic rages on? How do you pick a winner? I know you don't do startups unless you have high-risk tolerance, you you mentioned. Yeah. So let me tell you uh, one of the things I did during the pandemic, and that is um, I thought about a bunch of local businesses that I love and I thought were on the verge of going out of business. One of them is called Busboys and Poets. It's a combination bar, restaurant, bookstore, event center in D.C., a really wonderful business. So I wrote to uh, the proprietor, Andy Shalal, um, and I said, Andy, uh, I am going to prepay what I think I would spend at your restaurant over the next year. And uh, I estimated that would be $1,000. So I'm going to give you $1,000, and what I would like you to do is give me $1,000 of credit, and at the same time, getting your money up front, you can – do a little bit better in holding on to your staff and and keeping things going. And he was so thrilled, he actually gave me a 20% bump up to $1,200 of gift cards. And uh, so I got a 20% rate of return on this particular investment. And the lesson I would give to your audience is think about those local businesses you love and make a similar proposal to them. And, you know, pre-purchasing in most states is not regarded formally as an investment. So all the securities laws stuff doesn't really apply, except in a couple of states. And even there, if you're not dealing with a startup, you're probably pretty pretty safe. Um, But, you know, there are very – and, frankly, once you have that kind of relationship with a local business, they might think about, you know, there is an expansion that we want to do. And then you can think about, okay, well, uh, time for you local business to think about putting your issue for, say, a $500,000 loan from your customers uh, onto a crowdfunding site. And here's what's amazing that's happened over the last, you know, few years is that since 2016, 400,000 Americans have engaged in investment crowdfunding, putting $350 million into local small businesses. Yeah, now we're talking about big stuff. <laughs> yes. Really yes. Big, big stuff. And the, the, the typical business that does investment crowdfunding is raising $270,000. 60% of these issues are successful. The average investor is putting in just about $800. But these are the kinds of things that you can now look at. There's a wonderful website called Investibule that actually aggregates all of the listings on investment crowdfunding websites, and you can look by state. So if I wanted to find something where you live in Des Moines, Iowa, I could, uh, you know, put in Iowa, and, you know, suddenly I would see 20 investment opportunities from Iowa. No, that that sounds really now it makes sense to me. Before you know, when you talk about like a thousand dollar prepayment on future services, that's very nice, but it's obviously not going to 
make a major impact unless you get a whole bunch of your neighbors to join you in doing it as well. And, there, which is exactly what you should do, by the way. Because yeah. <laughs> so so I mean a lot of what my bread and butter is is consulting with cities and helping them with their economic development. Yeah. And I'm encouraging them to uh work with a company based in Manitoba called Protegra which oh, yeah. is offering cities the opportunity to create a site. They call it Local Futures, so that you could really mobilize tens of thousands of people to do this kind of pre-purchasing on targeted businesses. Yeah, is that something that the average Joe could do? I mean, you're an expert, obviously, on this. But like I go to Protegra and get in on that, or how do you do that? Yeah, I think I think you could. I mean, it, it's it's obviously a bigger lift uh, to try to convince, you know, to 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 basically start a program uh, that uh, encourages a lot of people to do pre-purchasing from from a lot of local businesses. Oh, and I so I would not do that alone. But I think you know within. Almost all local governments, there are people who call themselves economic developers. Um, They do a lot of stupid stuff. This is a smart thing they can do at a very low cost, and they're the people I would approach with this idea. Well, let's talk a little bit about your brand-new book, Put Your Money Where Your Life Is. If we purchase uh, your book, will it take us step-by-step through the process of setting up and using this self-directed IRA or solo 401k, deciding where to channel our money and uh, screen local opportunities to monitor results? Does it have that kind of information in it? Absolutely. And one of the things I've tried to do in my uh, you know, 30 years of writing books is to take the world's most boring subject matters and make them readable and entertaining. Well, this doesn't uh, sound like a boring subject matter. <laughs> right. Well, well, it's it's not. But when you read these documents that you know lawyers produce or that yeah. the IRS distributes, your eyes are going to glaze over. And you know <laughs> anything the you, government you, produces. <laughs> yes, and you <laughs> joked sure. at the outset by you know saying that you'll forgive me for being a lawyer. I will assure you that I never practiced in a normal way. Um, <laughs> You're okay then. <laughs> so I thank you, but I I understand you know people have are frustrated because they don't understand the law and yeah. honestly there's some really simple rules that you can follow in order to stay on the right side of the law with this stuff. I mean there's things in the gray zone uh, yeah. which if you're you know if you've got money then you go in the gray zone and you hire an attorney. But but you know. Three very simple rules, which is unless you're taking a loan from from your solo 401k for yourself, yeah. and with that you can invest in anything, including your kids, including your parents. Yeah. In your normal kinds of investments, you can't invest in, in blood relatives, oh. uh, except for your siblings. You can invest in your sister, your brother, their kids, but you can't invest in your own kids or your parents. The second thing is uh, there are certain categories of things that are perceived to be beneficial to you uh, and are regarded as self-dealing. So, for example, if you're renting a house, um, you cannot 
allow yourself to stay in that house even if you're in between renters because you would be gaining a benefit from this whole rental deal, which is really it should be conceived of as being held by your 401K. Yeah. Um, And then the last thing is that there's just certain categories of investment uh, that are off limits, certain kinds of life insurance, S-corporations, things that are hard to value like pieces of art. But, you know, I think for the average investor, these rules are not so difficult. Well, where's the best place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your new book? Well, I would say... Yeah, I'll, I'll give you two um, two possibilities. So one is is that uh, if you do your you know your shopping at a local bookstore and that bookstore is you know keeping its doors somehow open during the pandemic, I say go there and buy it. Um, if you if your bo- local bookstore is not available or it's inconvenient, I would say the next best thing is just go to Amazon and you, the book is there. It's in audio form. It's in written form. Um, and uh, I, I think Amazon is now delivering within 24 hours. Oh, great. Well, in conclusion, Main Street, and that includes you and me, not Wall Street, is what powers 60 to 80% of the U.S. economy. And these local businesses create two to four times more jobs than Wall Street's lauded corporate behemoths, and they spend more money locally, pay local taxes, hire local people, and create far-reaching social returns for your community. And by reading Michael Schumann's book, you will be introduced to some highly unique invest locally ideas, including the highly sensible strategy of loaning money to yourself to pay down student loans and credit card debt in order to helping out your sons and daughters to do the same. In fact, none of us is powerless to confront a financial system designed to serve the few, and Michael Schumann offers real choices, tools to align our assets and our lives with our values, and that's power. I highly recommend you visit Michael Schumann's website, michaelhschumann.com. That's your website, isn't it? It is indeed. And uh, preview his new book, Put Your Money Where Your Life Is. And thank you so much for joining us today, Michael, and best success with your new book and all your, your nine other books and in all that you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate your having me. And uh, that's our program for today. Tune in again next week to learn why middle age can be your best age. Bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal training system by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 